It's Thursday, October 1st, 2020, and you're listening to episode 551 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Morning time for this episode is 59 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. I'm Laura. And my name's Chad. All right, so Laura is back from Minigreyduck. <laughs> and the frozen north. Yeah, and so we were going to do it's a... quite a heat wave right now, actually. So it's what, like 40? <laughs> oh, I wish. It was in the 90s. It was uh, about as bad as St. Louis usually is, actually. Oh, wow. Adam was melting. Mm. So we were going to do a follow-up to our last episode on captains and do one on general command, but... Uh, Wayne, unfortunately, dropped a laptop on his foot and gave himself a hairline fracture, <laughs> so he can't drive right now. Right. So yeah. we're Wayneless, but we have Lura back. <laughs> so. I missed you, Al. <laughs> <laughs> we are going to pick her brain on something, which is something that I'm not sure Chad and I can talk much to simply because we don't remember it. Right. I was once talking to somebody about... I mean, I don't want to say we're old and we've been doing this for years, but we're kind of old and have been doing this yeah. for years. Well, I, I, Somehow I don't think lack of like recent experience is going to stop either of you from talking. This is very true. No. Uh, <laughs> this is a primarily opinion-driven show. <laughs> but I once had somebody give me a great metaphor, and it wasn't for anything RPG-related, but it fits wonderfully into this, which is they said it's like your first birthday, just because you don't remember it doesn't mean it didn't happen. Right. <laughs> and the topic we're getting at is how do you develop a GMing style? It's like how mm. do you kind of first feel your way out in mm-hmm. GMing? And I realize there are tons and tons and tons of subtopics we could dive into here about designing games, designing right. plots, picking a rule system. What is a GMing style? Yeah. Or- philosophical broad question <laughs> but we we want to kind of focus just on that latter part of so i guess it's fair to hmm. define what a gming style is but then move beyond that to say how do you figure out how it is you want to run a game mm-hmm. now i think if nothing else it's easy to see a gming style by demonstration even if not by definition mm-hmm. uh, for example most people can look at the way that chad and i gm and see that we have different storytelling mechanisms. We have different ways we approach the rule systems. He tends, well, actually, we're kind of coming more together on this. But <laughs> right. it used to be I was real notes heavy. He was real notes light. But now he's getting mm-hmm. more notes and I'm getting fewer. So we're actually yep. kind of reaching parity there. You used to be the head of the uh, GM party. Yeah. And I used to be head of the player party. Now we're switching on that. But I think the way that I would define a GMing style is that these are the qualitative choices you make about how you present the story to the players. Because there are choices, for example, like, are you going to allow player death or not? Mm -hmm. How hard Mm -hmm. are you going to be to the rules? Some of these may be ability-based. This may be a qualitative statement about you. How good are you at describing setting versus describing characters versus designing intricate plots? But all these things, whether they're choices or not, kind of come together to determine how you present 
your story to the players, much like an author's writing style. Mm-hmm. You know, an author may be particularly good at writing characters or writing setting, may be particularly good at action scenes, may be particularly good at intrigue. When you read an Arthur C. Clarke book, they tend to be very, very dry. The characters are often indistinguishable from one another. <laughs> there is, I mean, I would effectively say no characterization. I can't stand reading Arthur C. Clarke. I don't think I've ever read Clarke. But he's really good. Yeah. And his books are excellent. And I've read several of them. And I hated every minute. <laughs> but they were also really good. Yeah, it, it's that's so fair. strange. Because he plays to his strength, right? It's yeah, what yeah. He's, got, he's got a mind for the science. He's got a mind for oh, these absolutely. theoretical what-ifs based mm-hmm. on the science he knows. Mm-hmm. And he figures out how to come up with an interesting scenario based around that. And he presents that in a certain way. I mean, goodness, some of his books have appendices, like not at the end, but in the middle, <laughs> that give you some of like the diagrams of how orbital physics work and oh, things wow. like that. Yeah. And that's obviously a very, very different style of storytelling than, say, the whimsy of C.S. Lewis. And so I, I think GMing styles are much the same way. Is It's these qualitative statements about how you choose to present that experience, that story to your players, how you allow them to interface with the world. And I don't remember much about how I developed mine because it predates even my time gaming. Yeah. Dan, as a game master, erupted from the earth. (laughs) There was no raising. He erupted fully formed. He did. Well, he did. Yes (laughs) and no, because the where I started as a GM, I mean, my first technical time as a GM and my first technical rpg was the star trek fast mm-hmm. rpg back and i think i ran my first game in 1988 chasman gave me a little longer than i have yep yep a couple of years before that i was gaming with my family my cousins and uncles gamed and they had me come over a couple of times in 1986 the, the year i was born probably <laughs> probably okay you, you heard ravenloft right yes the, the D yeah because yeah, yeah, they yeah. brought it back yeah did you know that that was actually not a setting but a module yeah, they've reintroduced that, it as a module. Oh, wow. I played it in the 80s as the module. Yeah, so it was originally a module, then <laughs> became a setting, Yeah, then went to a board game, then went back to being a module again. Yeah, mm-hmm. one of my partners actually got me some of the books for my birthday mm-hmm. last year. Nice. It's very interesting. The setting books or the... Or like the, Strahd's Curse, the novel? No, 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 like the setting books. Where I really started telling stories to other people and involving mm-hmm. other people's choices was playing with toys as a kid. Right. When I was playing Transformers with my brother or whatever with my mm-hmm. sisters, I would have a story and I would have villains design and I would have scenarios. And I would, had no idea what a role-playing game even mm-hmm. was, but I was already learning the basics of interfacing a story with an audience where there was live feedback, where I had to react to their decisions. All my first role-playing game did was give me rules to it. So by the time Hmm. I was first GMing in 1988, I think my biggest mistake was relying too much on the things that FASA had to say, Mm -hmm. like use maps for everything and Mm -hmm. then watch the people try everything they can Mm -hmm. to escape those maps. But they had some GMing advice in there that I think I followed too closely Mm -hmm. rather than trusting my own instincts. That was something I had to break myself of. This was the 80s. And if you remember the 80s and even, I guess, the 90s. She doesn't remember the 80s. Okay. Well, I'm talking to the undefined you, the people at home. (laughs) 
you know how much they love charts. Yeah. We had random tables for everything. You couldn't poop without rolling <laughs> on a chart to see what type it was, how long it took, and what effect it had on the local flora and fauna. <laughs> I really hope you're kidding there. I mean, not entirely. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> it's funny because it's true. Oh, wow. <laughs> One of our favorite ones is in the Palladium books. The mental illness chart, like if you go through a traumatic event, mm -hmm. you're supposed to roll or can roll a random mental illness. We're not making this up. So, okay. so Batman, right? Mm -hmm. Little Bruce Wayne, parents are gunned down in front of him. We're yeah. playing a role-playing game. Yeah. Roll on the mental illness chart. Dice rattle. What'd you get? I'm afraid of boats. <laughs> and that's actually, <laughs> oh a fear God. of boats is actually yeah. on the chart. So yeah, these were a strange time. Well, yeah, yeah. I actually okay. used it in a Fear the Con game. This was a comedy game mm -hmm. as the damage chart. So you had like the characters had like so many hit points, mm -hmm. and if they reached zero hit points, each point of damage they took after that <laughs> was a new mental illness from the risk <laughs> mental illness chart. <laughs> and so that's amazing, that's yeah, fantastic. <laughs> so all the characters just increasingly descended into nonsense. As the well, game not madness. Just, just nonsense. nonsense. Just yeah, yeah. Ridiculousness. This, these are very comic book takes on mental <laughs> illness. Yeah, it, it was complete nonsense. All right, but so Laura, you have a unique perspective because you are right now GMing or starting to GM mm -hmm. for the first time. So this is something that's very fresh on your mind. You're starting, what is it, a rotating GM game? Uh, well, yes. you GM'd before this, yeah. right? Because we deconstructed your game. We did. On the show. Yeah, so I, I ran a one shot. I ran that same game at fear the con mm -hmm. fear the con line i run a campaign for some co-workers um that were several sessions into and then adam gottfried and a friend and i started a a rotating gm game actually while i was up in minnesota i'm gradually getting mm -hmm. my toes a little further into the water it's kind of intimidating but and we have a deal too that she's going to run a blades in the dark full campaign for me. we do have a deal Ooh, okay yep. In payment, I have to run a chapter two of a game yes! that I ran. I'm so <laughs> excited for that. It is 100% <laughs> worth me running a Blades in the is Dark campaign. the kids and adults yep. D&D game? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I'm so excited. I'm assuming I have to pay up before you do that. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> Damn it. Yeah, I, I've been GMing some more. While I was in Minnesota, the campaign that I run for some coworkers, I actually had Adam... Gottfried coming and guest spot on and between that and, and this other game that we're campaign that we're sort of doing the rotating GM thing it's been very interesting for me as a new GM I think trying to figure out how I do things mainly because you know I have gamed with Chad running things and Wayne has run things and Adam has run things for me and I have all of these really great GMs around me who do oh, things thanks. very differently. I've bragged about you before. It's not <laughs> anything new. But I like it. <laughs> <laughs> you would. <laughs> Translating that into how I do things is kind of a struggle for me. You know, you have one perception as a player of like the the campaign that, that Chad ran that we're mm -hmm. talking about, the, Dean, the the 5e campaign, was phenomenal. And it was engaging and I was invested and then there was, you know, this energy about it, which is part of why I want to play it again. It was this incredible experience that Chad put together. And my perception of it is a very specific perception and, and how Chad ran it. And then turning around and running a, a game of my own where 
I'm uh, part of it, I guess, has to do with my own insecurities, which mm-hmm. I know Wayne has talked about. But how do I do things without trying to be a Chad or trying mm-hmm. to be an Adam or trying to be a Wayne? And how do you do that without completely ignoring yeah. any right. of the other and, stuff? And this yeah. is something that's very different about your situation for minor Chads was with you, you're coming up in a tradition of gaming You've observed other GMs, you've seen their styles, potentially been influenced by Mm -hmm. their styles. You know, you have some of their tips and tricks that some of which may work, some of which you may try to integrate and they don't work for you because you're just not wired that way. Whereas with Chad and I, we came up much more in a vacuum. I mean, once again, Mm -hmm. I was really first GMing before I even had dice. I was Mm -hmm. telling these interactive stories to you know, my siblings with toys. But even once we got to Star Trek and there were rules to it, Chad had played in a D&D game, but not GM'd or DM'd. Right. Not Mm -hmm. GM'd anything. And it was a door-kicking sort of campaign. And I was like 14. Yeah. Yeah. He did one of those genius things of whenever someone asks you how many cards you want from the deck of many things. I said all of them. Yeah, the answer is all of them. I didn't know uh, what the hell it was. Yeah, if you don't, I don't know. Is deck many things even <laughs> oh, still around? Yes. I don't know. Yes, it, okay, it I didn't know. But it was amazing. But okay. yeah, and that was the end of his first character. His first yeah. character death. Because, yeah, because yeah. I threw the death card, and the death card, it's an automatic hit. The mm-hmm. first hit, they automatically win initiative. They automatically hit with the first hit, and they automatically do a minimum amount of damage. That was equal to my character's hit points. Yeah. Oh, no. It was like, draw a card, your character's dead. Instantly. Yeah. And this was like first I'm, or second I'm D&D. Like, oh, Zero no. hit points was <laughs> right. death. Yeah, this was... Yeah. Like, this, okay. You did not have negative hit points. <laughs> Somehow that did not turn me off of role-playing games. That's impressive. Yeah, but, yeah. but the point is that when we came into gaming... We were doing this fairly raw. We were not the sort of people that grew up like in a gaming household mm-hmm. or with a gaming circle of friends. My dad played golf. Yeah, so we <laughs> we didn't pick this up socially, you know, and we didn't have these various traditions that we were trying to carry on or influencers mm-hmm. that we were looking to. My dad played ping pong. Hmm. <laughs> that was. <it>. But we <laughs> were just. I don't know. We just made it up internally. And I don't know yeah. how it worked. I mean, obviously, I learned how to speak English. <laughs> I can't tell you what that process was like. I mean, I can postulate based I'm on a what parent. I, I can tell you what it's like. Well, yeah, <laughs> but you can't tell me what your experience, you know, no. I mean, you can postulate based on what you've seen in other people. Mm-hmm. But when I said my first word, there must have been something in my head that made me arrive at that as my first word. Yeah. I think with you, Dan, how it was from what I remember is that you had no idea how to be GM. Sure. You know, you, you had some sort of concepts you had what the FASA book told you. But what happened was that you had this vision. Yeah. Right? Right or wrong. Is this vision yeah. of what I like to happen. And then you had a bunch of rowdy ass 14, 15 year old <laughs> kids. Oh. You had a, a basement full of them. And all of us were hopped up on highly caffeinated soda. Before. Of course. All of us were hopped up on sugar. All of us were going crazy, and Dan had to make this vision happen. Now, it didn't happen because (laughs) no one could make that happen. But the concept of storytelling was already there. The struggle for me was 
how do you tell the story within a framework of rules? Yeah. It wasn't a framework even of character responses, because once again, that I had well, from playing right. as a kid. But GMing but, style is so much more than how to apply the rules to the situation you're in with all these sure. desperate yeah. people. I look back at what we had where it was you getting these kids in line. Right. And not that you were, you were hurting cats. Right. You were hurting cats. Yeah. And we were like hyperactive cats. <laughs> and you would try things and they didn't work, but you would try other things. And then it kind of worked. And then you kind of grew on that. And then you tried this other thing. I imagine it's like you need to irrigate a field. So you dig a canal and then you open up the sluice gate and the water flows through the canal and waters the crops. This is what we like to think we do as GMs nowadays, modern, mature and perfect, right? Which doesn't happen anyway. But you had this idea in your mind, but you're a kid. You dug the canal as best you could. It wasn't very good. You planted the crops as best you could. It was all right. And when you opened up the sluice gate, actually the river just kind of flooded. <laughs> so at the end of the day, you're standing there and going, well, there's the crops and there's the water on them. Mission accomplished. Let's try and do better next time. Yeah. And yeah. then, oh. you know, it, it just kind of evolves and, and goes from there. Yeah. And certainly the number of people, mm -hmm. the way you guys played off of each other, obviously that was different than toy room play. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And the presence of rules was certainly different. But the gist of construct and tell a story is like you said, mm -hmm. ideas was never my issue. Right. Right. Or even this vision of what I wanted to see happen was never my issue. And that was something I mean, I would, I'm sure I was influenced by media. I'm sure mm -hmm. I was influenced by yeah. other storytellers of varying skill level. But it ultimately felt innate. It wasn't like I had other GMs around me right. that I was learning from. It mm -hmm. wasn't like. I was introduced to a group that had been GMing for the past several years and they had a GM or two GMs or not whatever. all of us are as innately gifted as you are. Dan. Well, but that, well, no, 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 <laughs> it's not that. Cause we say all the time for the boot is a monument to our failures. Mm -hmm. I was seated innately, mm -hmm. but there was no grand tree there. <laughs> it it what, was what Dan's great success was back in the eighties, mm -hmm. right? As a game master. Being like 14 in this ridiculous game, his success that I could say that we could draw from and offer as advice mm -hmm. is that he didn't give up. Yeah, I was about to say it, the same thing. It stuck with the hobby. <laughs> it wasn't good. It was a shit show. But he came back and we came back and it got a little better and yeah. it got a little better and it yeah. got a little better. So... A big part of my struggle right now, and, and I mentioned this sort of offhandedly earlier, is, is the whole perception, right? I perceive things in a game very differently as a player than I do as a GM. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious to know if that happens with you guys as well. Like, Can you explain that? Like, how? So when I'm playing, I'm only responsible for my character. Right. I am invested. I am engaged. I am my character and, and I'm experiencing this as my character and there's a certain energy to it and there's a flow to it and it it's generally a wonderful experience. When I'm a GM, I'm running God knows how many NPCs. I'm coordinating that with the various player characters and the setting and trying to maintain my plot threads and, and playing chess essentially against myself. I don't know. And I can't feel that 
energy like I do when I'm a player. Mm. And it's difficult for me as a GM to tell if my players are engaged in it while we're running. I, I've always gotten positive feedback mm-hmm. and and people enjoy themselves. So at the end of the day, it seems like I'm doing fine. But I perceive it very differently from the other side of the table. And I think it's largely due to all of the things that I'm trying to juggle and I can't be in the moment. Yeah. Is that like, am I crazy? Am I weird? No, am I, no, I really I, green? So am I? I? I think the way I would describe it is this. When you're GMing, think of it like a big pot. You're making soup. Now, everything... I'm can, totally on board. Okay. <laughs> Talk now, you have our attention. <laughs> everything cannot go in this pot. Because mm, yeah. one, it wouldn't fit. Mm, and true. two, well, I mean, it well, wouldn't work out well. You need a bigger I mean, pot. Yeah. Clearly. Well, I mean, you can put certain things that are just are not going to work together. True. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to be disgusting when they right. the flavors interact and whatever. And so you kind of have to pick what kind of soup it is you're making. And mm-hmm. you put the ingredients in there to get that. For example, the way I envision a game is I really look at three things. And you could call this a major part of my GMing style because... I have to make a soup, and once again, I can't put everything in there. So what am I going to put in that pot? Well, the three things that I really go for immediately is, one, what is the overarching plot here? What is the big, grand plot that I'm mm-hmm. trying to tell? The I've talked about in the past is the what's really going on document, a way that I yeah. look at. These are the events unfolding in the world that will occur regardless of player action, and the game is how the player actions disrupt that and mm-hmm. change that. The second thing I then try to do is I try to flavor that with two things. What are these really neat events or encounters or scenes that I want to sprinkle in there that I know it would just be really cool or really powerful if this kind of thing happened? If there was this betrayal, if there was this boss fight, if there I, whatever it may be. Some of these are pretty simple examples. Mm-hmm. And then the third thing I go for is now I've got to make sure I have at least a handful of really colorful NPCs. Our Skies of Glass game, you know, Fat Tony, Pops, Billingsley. There's Mm -hmm. these super colorful NPCs in there that give the players something to latch onto, something to kind of laugh at, to to bounce ideas off of. You know, it's easy almost... I want to call them archetypes, but really in some ways they're almost stereotypes that they know they can go over there and get a certain kind of experience. Mm-hmm. And those three things together, I mean, a lot of what occurs in my games, at least as they're run today, is just improvisation in the middle. In fact, if you were to look at my game notes for my current campaign, that's what it consists of, is a what's really going on document, a list of NPCs. And some notes on some scene or encounter ideas that I think would be really interesting. And out of that then comes the story. And I allow, of course, the players a great deal of freedom to paint the story in between. Mm -hmm. And their actions can either emphasize or utterly invalidate certain things that I put in the pot. When you're GMing, I think looking at it as playing chess against yourself I get where you're getting that particular image from, Mm -hmm. but I think to look at it that way is almost harmful because of the fact that it makes it feel more daunting than it is. I think it would be easier to say, 
what would chess against yourself be like, but you're only going to use three or four pieces. Mm -hmm. You're not going to use the full chess board. You're not going to have, in fact, we're going to take some things out of here. We're not going to allow castling or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And what do you do with just these handful of pieces, you know, because you can't put everything in there. You cannot be the entire world. And I think there are two lies that get told that when we describe gaming that are really, they're useful shorthand, but they're oversimplifications. And lies zero is you can do anything you want in an RPG. <laughs> but lies one and two are, as a GM, you're responsible for everything. And as a player, you're only responsible for your character. Because as a player, I'm not. If I'm mm. playing in a game that you're running, I am also responsible for helping you as a game master achieve the things you're setting out to do, not wrecking your scenes, not getting in metagame fights with Chad and Wayne mm -hmm. or whatever. Understanding you, that the game is going in that direction. Yeah. Right. And I need to figure out a way to go in that direction. It, that right. is in character and interesting and engaging yeah. and not just, well, that's the way the sign's pointing. Mm -hmm. And, and not go the opposite direction. And as a GM, I mean, you cannot bring the whole world minus the player characters. Right. No human being can do that. What you bring is enough to fake it, is enough mm -hmm. to kind of mm -hmm. fill in how they experience that world and what's going to happen. You know that based on the characters they're playing, there's certain things they're probably going to latch onto. Or in session zero, you made clear that there were certain things they were required to latch onto or to buy into. Mm -hmm. You know that you can really play up certain NPCs or certain situations, and they may not work. So have a fallback. But the truth is you don't have everyone and everything to find. Mm -hmm. You know, as a GM, there's a lot of things presented as canon that are just lies I make up on the spot. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And because you can't have all of that. And so I, I think... I, I guess now maybe I am understanding the process of <laughs> learning GM as I try to deconstruct it now mm -hmm. is that they've said that that's the ultimate step to understanding something is try to explain it to somebody else. <laughs> mm -hmm. yep. That's the final, if you can teach it, then you have finally mastered it. But that's kind of what it, it strikes me as is there's as much struggle deciding what goes in the pot mm -hmm. as there is with deciding what doesn't go in the pot. Right. And I think that was a big thing for me was as a GM, I looked at those rules and felt like I had to follow all the rules that they gave, mm -hmm. had to do all the things that they suggested, had to do it exactly as it was presented. Mm -hmm. And that allowed the caffeinated <laughs> teenagers yeah. to do all kinds of wackadoodle things, <laughs> which I, to some extent, brought on myself. So I think that would be one of my challenges to you, to not just decide what you're bringing to the game, but to start accepting the things you can't bring to the game. But I can do all of the things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, something you said at the beginning of this too, is you make a character and you invest so much in the character and, mm -hmm. and there's a lot of energy behind that. Yeah. How do you bring that same energy to the game? Because the game has all these, you know, multiple mm -hmm. NPCs and multiple places and setting. It's like, when I think of my character, I don't have to think of right. you know, the setting of what it looked like. Oh yeah. Yes. They're, they're from a place, but I don't have to describe what the building looks like. It's not my job. Yeah. And how I see it is when I make a character, I want to explore something with my character in the Sky's Glass game, Gil. I wanted to explore alcoholism, but not being an alcoholic, but being 
I, I think it's called in recovery, the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the after effects of that, but also layered with, yeah, he's a recovering alcoholic. People kind of hold those people up. They yeah. overcame something. It's very good, but he's not a good person. Right. And I, I wanted to explore that sort of contradiction in a character and how people could potentially, maybe even not, accept him as a friend. So when I made the character, that was something that interested me. Mm-hmm. And I did a little bit of research. I like looked up what the 12 steps were. Yeah. I looked up AA programs. I did some reading on it. A little bit. Again, nothing huge. I'm not an expert in alcoholism and addiction from this, but I did a little bit of reading to inform yeah. it. I also thought about some friends that I have who had problems with alcoholism and that sort of thing. Bullying, because he's a bully, bullying and abuse mm-hmm. and the cycle of abuse. I kind of thought about that when I made the character because that's what was interesting to me and that's why I wanted to explore. And that's kind of built up energy and interest and going. Yeah. So how do you do that as a GM? You take a step back. You have all of these nebulous ideas, world setting. Mm-hmm. It's like you have not run the game yet, but th- it's like all these different ideas. You take a step back and they're not this nebulous thing. It's like, what interests you? What do you want to explore? Like with our, the D&D 5e game, mm-hmm. what I wanted to explore was how can I deliver the old, tired fantasy tropes mm-hmm. to someone who's never really experienced them? And how do I invert them? How do I make them interesting for the person who hasn't experienced yeah. them? And how do I make them interesting for the people who have experienced them over and over and over and over again? And so I took a step back. It was more specific than that, too, yeah. because it was like, well, how do I explore this? Well, that was that's very interesting to me. How do I explore this layer of parents? And the trope is the sins of our fathers. The sins of our fathers are paid by our children. I don't want to do that. Right. But I want the fathers and mothers to have sins. Mm-hmm. And I want the children to interact with that. Hmm, that's interesting to me. That's that's kind of, I, I got some ideas here. But it's about what I want to explore in the character when I'm a player mm-hmm. is no different whatsoever than when I'm a GM. It's just the sort of categories are different. I was thinking of instead of how alcoholism and the cycle of abuse work, I was thinking there is this broken kingdom that is newly liberated. How do the cycles of the economy work? How come they just don't get rolled over by their neighbors now that there's a power vacuum? Well, that was your parents. <laughs> yes, it was. You know, the assassin diplomats. <laughs> they murdered so. people. They murder people. They murder rivals and don't tell anyone. And, mm-hmm. and suddenly opposition kind of evaporates from the top down. And uh, so I was thinking about these things and they're like, that's very interesting to me. It is the same energy and it's the same sort of approach. Mm-hmm. It's just some of the categories are different. Maybe the scale is a little bit different too. Yeah. But yeah, that it's the same thing. But when I zoom in to actually run the game, mm-hmm. it's just like Dan is saying. I do not make A to B to C to D to E all the way to Z for the first game. Right. I know what I want for Z. I know where I'm starting with A. And there are about five to six letters randomly scattered through that alphabet. Mm-hmm. I want to hit these points because that's really interesting to me. This is going to make the game work for me. I want to see how they react to that. Mm-hmm. And so my challenge is not to understand what B, C, D, all those are. My challenge is how do I present A in such a way 
to where they can get to F. I don't know. It's probably going to take a couple of games, and F might actually change, but they don't know that. Yeah. And I present it in such a way to where they think I have the whole alphabet in front of me. They don't know. This is how I was able to do time leaps and time jumps mm-hmm. and roll things back and forth and stuff. So I knew where a Z was. Yeah. I knew where F and H and all that and M and O were. But because I, I had that energy to begin with, because of these handful of letters that interested me, mm-hmm. you guys filled in the spaces in between. Bruce, the NPC <laughs> pawn shop great. He was great. He breathed so much life into it. Mm-hmm. He didn't exist. Yeah. He didn't exist until Wayne's character walked in a shop and started asking questions. And I needed answers to those questions. Mm-hmm. And so as I answer, it, it's not like I, I stopped and go, all right, I need a good NPC. All right. He's going to be like this. He's going to be like this. He's going to be like this. I just started answering questions. Mm-hmm. And in my mind, it's like, well, he seems to know a lot about war. Seems to be an older guy as the conversation is going. Yeah. And it's just like, okay, he's an old war veteran and he's come back here and he's done this and that. And then I named him. And then that's when I realized that he had a similar name to another guy from this area. Mm -hmm. But these other people who have very, very different names are not from this area. And so I started a naming scheme. People's names denoted to me where they were from. All of the people who had normal names, Bruce, Mm -hmm. uh, Boucher, whose name I, first name I don't remember. What His name was Boucher. Yeah, everyone just called him Boucher. But everybody who had like European sort Mm -hmm. of Western names were all from that area. Mm -hmm. People from a desert region all had names that began with Z, Zalana. Mm -hmm. And the, I have to look at my notes, it's been like a couple of years since I looked Mm -hmm. at this. But he had a Z name. Yeah. They were both from deserts. The bad guy. The bad guy. Stuff like that. And it's like, I didn't start out doing that, but it's just interesting things. I guess the advice I would have, because, I mean, the whole, don't have the whole alphabet, but just have as many letters in there as you feel that you can handle, and Mm -hmm. then the players will fill in the rest of the letters for you. But that alphabet path is a path. It it, it guides you. My advice in that, though, because that's just fundamentals. Right. The advice, though, is how you get the energy is those letters that you have in there are what interests you. Okay. It's not about them. Now, maybe it's something in their characters and their past that come together, like Mm -hmm. your parents. You wrote me a blank check to make bad guys. It was wonderful. And I wanted to explore stuff. So that kind of came together. No regrets. Yep. One of the letters, especially near the end, was And that's that's something I think you ought to remember as a GM. This is something I want to underline. Zahir. Zahir and Zalana. Zahir with a... (laughs) (laughs) This is something I want to underline that was in what Chad said before I kick this back to you with a question, which is that you've got to remember that this is your game as much as theirs, and this is your entertainment as much as theirs. I think the question, I realize this is a little bit of a 90-degree turn here, What do you feel, if anything, is the influence of having other game masters around you? Do you feel you're learning from them? Do you feel their influence is actually harmful because you're trying too hard to emulate them? Is it too little information, too much information? It's a fair question. I definitely have learned things from everyone that I've had GM for me. And I've picked up on 
particular things that they do or ways that they do things. I wouldn't say it's harmful. I'm not trying to emulate anyone specifically. One thing that I think I'm good at as a as a person in general is is looking at multiple things and picking and choosing what I like and adapting it for myself because I'm not Chad or Wayne or Adam. I think there are definitely times where the amount of information I have access to is overwhelming, um, where I'm inundated with so many examples of good GMing and everybody does it differently. And so it's, uh, well, this works really well for Chad and Chad does this really well, but Wayne does this really well and he does it completely different from how Chad does it. And then there's Adam and then there's people that I game with up in Minnesota that are also very good at what they do, who GM very differently from anybody I game with here. And it's a little overwhelming at times to kind of figure out what is it about how Chad runs that makes Chad good at it? What is it about how Wayne does things that makes him good at it? And is there something for me to learn there that I can adapt to how I do things? In a way, though, and I'm saying this as someone who, once again, really can't remember how I learned to GM, so I'm almost postulating here, not stating, Mm -hmm. but it kind of seems to me that in some way, having multiple GMs would be more liberating than having one GM. Yeah. Because I think if you see multiple GMs, you have that sort of subconscious moment of permission yeah. You don't have to do what Wayne did because Chad doesn't. And his right. games are just fine. Yeah. And you don't have to do what Chad did because Adam doesn't. And his games are mm-hmm. just fine. Yeah, I'm just, I, I think it would be difficult if I had only ever seen Wayne run a game. I run mm-hmm. very differently from how Wayne runs. Yeah, and you've kinda, you can fall into the subconscious assumption that's just how you do it. Right. right. That wouldn't work for me. And I think that that would really be a struggle. So I, I definitely agree that, that having multiple examples is better than not. I'm just strangely blessed in mm. having a lot of really good examples. And it's, it. I don't know, it's a little overwhelming sometimes, but I admittedly have a lot of insecurities about it. And I want to make sure everybody is having fun. And it's difficult sometimes for me to tell in the moment if they are. Like, mm. I don't know. I don't know if that's just a me thing. It's definitely not a you thing. And again, your games are, well... But the the one I was in was great. I loved it. <laughs> I, I've gotten good feedback. Like I'm I'm confident after the fact that people have enjoyed it because they tell well, me. I talked about this on one of the two game notes that I did uh, that you can find on Patreon. Blah blah. blah. Um, <laughs> but on the second one, I I talked about this about how when you run a game, the session's over, and you're like, okay, what did everyone think? Oh, it was great. Cool. Yeah, loved it. Good job. All right. See you next week. It's like. To, are they just being nice? Mm-hmm. People aren't confrontational. People don't want right. to confront things, but you need the honest feedback. And if you just hear all the good things, you know it's not true mm-hmm. because you see what you've done and you see the mistakes, but that's just it. You don't know, are you being too hard on yourself or are they just not being confrontational? And they just yeah. want the game's good enough and fine, but you need honest feedback to, to get better. Yes. So it makes this sort of loop where in your mind where it's like, am I good? Am I bad? I don't know. It's yes, like, very much. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, nail I, head. Looking <laughs> back a thought, something I want to add to what I was just saying a moment ago is if you're listening to this and 
you're in a group where there's only one other GM or you are the only GM, never feel like you have to emulate anyone's style of GMing. You know, because I know a lot of times or almost all the time, gaming is taught through a social tradition. Mm -hmm. People game, they're exposed to gaming, they just learn that's how you do it and that's how you play. And then over time, they get exposed to new ideas, new styles, whatever. But if you're in a relatively limited environment where there is only one GM or whatever, you know, don't ever feel like the only way to run a game is to emulate what that one person did. And if you're listening to us, well, obviously you are, but if, <laughs> if you're getting GMing advice from us and you're a relatively new GM, that's one of the reasons why I'm glad that we have such divergent GMing styles on this show mm -hmm. because you'll hear regularly us contradict each other about mm -hmm. how to handle something or how we do something. And I think that's, it's healthy. You know, yeah, people yeah, need absolutely. to know one of the things that as a wannabe writer that I've seen that kind of amuses me is usually when people are starting out writing the go-to book that they get pointed to mm -hmm. is Stephen King's on writing. I love that book, which is a good book. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm not here. To, a good book. I'm not bagging the book and I'm certainly not telling you Stephen King is not a good or successful author. I mean, he's not a, good author but he is a successful okay author. so and i've read many of his books and i love stephen king old, old bag of shaky cocaine stephen king where he writes <laughs> women really weird and but <laughs> stephen king in his own writing contradicts or breaks almost every rule he gives in on writing mm -hmm. yep one of the other things that i love hearing all the time is any of these here's just the generic this is not an opinion this is a rule mm -hmm. of storytelling show don't tell do you know how many of the classics tell instead of show? Mm -hmm. Read a Roger Kipling book. It is nothing but him telling. Yep. You know, he, he almost never shows anything. Don gave me an article, and I, I cannot go into this, the nitty-gritty details of it because I don't remember it, and I would misquote the facts. But the whole article was about how the concept of show, don't tell was actually put forward, not invented by, but put forward and pushed into the writing industry by the U.S. government. In like the 20s really? or 30s or something. What? Yeah, it, it, I would believe it because I, it's fortunately it's getting yeah. pushback. I recently well, was reading an article by an author. I don't remember who it was. That was basically was in defense of telling, not showing. So, and, yeah. And again, I can't get into the nitty gritties of, of it because I don't remember the details and I'm going to get something wrong. It's just going to. If you yeah. send me the link, I'll yeah. put it in the show I'll, notes. I'll have to dig and find it. It is something along the lines of. It is a propaganda thing that is a pushback against communism or something. You know, it, it, I don't know if it's that or not, but it, it is something like that. It's really bizarre. The commies yeah. were doing too much telling. And again, I don't know if it was communist or not, but it is something. It was. It is huh. something like that. Yeah. That's, I. You know. I. I'll have to see if I. Can I, I don't it. know its origin, so I'll take your word on that. But and, and again, you, I could be wrong. If you send me that link, I will. I will link it in the show notes so people can read it for themselves mm -hmm. and see what it says. But. To get back to what I was saying, you know, that's one thing I want to stress is that's why we try to have multiple GMing styles on this show is to demonstrate that you have the freedom to do this in many different ways. You have to find the one that fits your personality the best. And, you know, Laura, in your situation, I'm glad that you have multiple GMs. Mm -hmm. But I think the thing that would worry me about your situation, not being in it, but just being an outsider looking in, is do you feel in some way compelled to emulate them all? Or to no. 
don't capture their best aspects. Like Wayne does this really well and Chad does this really well. So I got to do this the way Wayne does and Chad, the way Chad does this to no, the way Adam does this. To, well, and I think my takeaway, uh, if I could give a piece of advice, would be to not obsess too much over it and to let your style develop. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I am still fairly new at it. Mm-hmm. I recognize that I'm going to do things that don't really work. And, and so it's okay. and and that's okay. And yeah. so it's not a I have to do this the way Wayne does it because Wayne does this particular aspect really well. It's a okay, well I tried it this way and this way didn't work for me. Sure. I know Wayne does it a different way. What if I try it the way that I've seen him try it? Or what if I take this bit and piece here and yeah. try it this way? It's informing how i develop my style but it's not controlling yeah, how i, develop I think my that's style. a good a good way of looking at it because mentoring does not spare you from the process of failing forward oh, but i think it does true. speed it up i think you know if you were stranded on a desert island trying to reinvent all technology from the ground up obviously it would take you a lot longer than if you had someone there who could show you how to build basic tools but you would still screw up as you learn how to make basic tools oh, yeah. you know so it just kind of strikes me that this allows you to fail forward faster, but it is still a process of failing forward. And I know this is not usually the kind of lovey-dovey, huggy advice we sort of give, or <laughs> but you've run how many games now? Was I know at least the one. Ten-ish, maybe. Ten-ish? Okay, yeah. okay. So, and are were these one-shots? A couple of them were one-shots. Um, you're a campaign for our co-workers. Yeah, I'm running a campaign. Okay, so, okay. so, so you got... I think six or seven sessions. Okay, so, you, so you're not a newbie. You're... I mean, I would still qualify myself as a newbie. <laughs> well, I, I kind of qualify myself as a newbie. <laughs> well, okay, but the, the point is, this is <laughs> not wrong. like... I'm old. I'm you old. are old. <laughs> this is not like you're just starting out. That you just got done with your first one-shot at a con. and you're, No, but it is my first campaign right. that I've run. You know, one of the things we always try to talk about is, oh, don't be so hard on yourself and whatever. And this is true. I mean, try to look at the things you did right and to focus on those. But there absolutely is a virtue in finding your style. I mean, what's the old story? And I don't know if it actually happened or not. But when asked about the statue of David, the artist thought I'd just cut away everything that didn't belong. Or mm-hmm. I don't know if it's even true or not. But there's, you know, that popular story. That's yeah. how it was carved. And I think GMing is much the same way of, you do something and then you realize what doesn't work and what doesn't belong. And one of the things I want to ask you, not because I'm trying to nitpick on you, but because I think you saying this might be of some value to other new GMs listening. What did you not like about your earlier games that you've discarded? It's less discarding things for me than it is filling things in. I started fairly bare bones and and have started filling more things in. I'm going to keep talking, but that's interesting. I, I definitely want to come back to that. Uh, well, and I'm I'm trying to brain. <laughs> you, okay, do you want me to fill it in now to give you time to brain? Uh, sure. Okay. Well, one of the things I think is interesting about that is the more traditional early GM mistake is to try to do everything and then realize the hard way you can't and giving up control. It's really interesting to hear someone came into this and took the opposite stance of, I'm going to bring kind of the bare bones. And I then, blame a certain blind GM for that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll fill in from there. But that that's that is interesting. But did that work for you? Because I mean that's Adam's style, right? It's 
it is a better place for me to start from yeah. than the opposite. Knowing myself, I have a tendency to get overwhelmed. And so it's better for me to start from a position of just kind of the bare bones sure. and fill in rather than trying to do everything and bringing it down. If I had started on the other end of it, I would never have started GMing. I would have been so overwhelmed trying to to do all of the things that I never actually would have started. I right. would have been so determined that I had to have all of these things set up before my players even got in the room. Well, and I remember your notes, Dan, from when we were kids, not the 13, 14 year old crazy people, but more of like the 18, 19, 20 year old. Sure. You had these spiral bound notebooks and it was page after page after page after page of all your notes and everything that's going to happen. All the, it wasn't just this is what's going on. This is the Bible of the mm-hmm. story. Yeah, right? they were they were plot. Po- they were not even major plot points. They were minor plot yep. points. This was mm-hmm. it wasn't quite a railroad, but it wasn't too far from it. Well, and the problem with those games, I never felt like we were railroaded. The problem with the games is that you had so much detail in them that the players couldn't keep track of what was going on. Right. And you lost track of what was going on. Well, I don't think you made like right plot. And and you know why? Because this is still my fear to this day. Mm -hmm. And I would wager Wayne has the same fear because he and I tick in terms of our psychology. So similarly, now we're very different Mm -hmm. GMs in a lot of ways, but our psychology that kind of motivates us to do what we do is very, very similar, which is that the one thing that worries me more than no game is a bad game or a mm-hmm. boring game mm-hmm. of people show up and be like, why did I show up? This was yes. boring. Nothing happened. It sucked. You why did I to... just waste my time? Precisely. I just wasted and how many so hours? I would rather see yes. the game. If like a game is about to start and Wayne and I both do this, if a game is about to start and we don't feel quite in the zone and mm-hmm. ready, you know, it was a learned skill for me to come in and say to players, I need you guys to help me out to get the energy going. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, there ain't going to be a game. Because before that, and I still do this sometimes, before that, my go-to was always sabotage the game, shut the game down, because it was better to not perform than to perform and look like an idiot. And I'm not saying that's the right attitude, but I think that is why I started on the opposite extreme is instead of coming with a bare bones outline, Mm -hmm. I came with so much was because, yeah, was dead air. Nothing scared me more than dead air. I mean, they've, they've measured this on radio stations. Do you realize how little dead air it takes before people switch the channel? Right. Within about mm-hmm. seven seconds, you have lost like almost oh, everyone yeah. that was listening. People get very uncomfortable yeah. with silence. And they expect that constant stuff happening. Mm-hmm. I've sat in movies before where the screen goes black and there's a moment of dead silence. And I don't know if that's a dramatic pause or if the film reel just broke. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's right. the same thing's yeah. true in Jimmy. I mean, nothing terrifies me more than everyone's sitting around staring at each other. Mm -hmm. And that's why I started on the opposite extreme and had to learn to let go of that, that it was better to risk to take at least some risk Mm -hmm. on a bad performance because giving up that 10 or 20% chance of failure meant that what I could get out of the quality of the game was going to be worth so much more than Mm -hmm. 10 or 20% lost. So you, you, you start out with very little. So what are the things I you did. feel most compelled to, like, what is the bare bones? Like what, when you come to a game, what is it you bring? I a ha- pie, <laughs> a pie. Usually a um, bad game turns into an excellent game when a pie is. Oh pie. yeah. Well, look, <laughs> Hey, you can always bring out a meal or a dessert. Yep. 
and just let the social conversation go and conclude it with, well, we needed to catch up anyway. That, <laughs> that is my number one piece of gaming advice if you're worried about a game. Bring food. Bring food. Feed them. Feed them because a bad game turns into a pretty okay game yeah. once everyone yep. gets fed. So, yeah, so okay, <laughs> so outside of a pie, what is it? Which is a great this thing to bring. Very important. Uh, it's very important. I'm bringing him his his belated birthday yes. pie this coming weekend. Okay, his key lime pie. Uh, yes. Yep. I'm actually making two of those because a coworker of mine is coming in from out of town mm-hmm. and it's around her birthday. And I and promised she would her like a pie to give you and one she wants too. that pie. So, <laughs> oh my God. Anyway, um, so the things that I like, my bare bones that I bring to a game i legitimately have like a few bullet points of plot points that i want to happen okay if i know there's going to be combat i have my monsters i have that figured out an npc maybe that they might talk to otherwise i'm kind of just winging it which is fine wing the combat too. make up all the numbers no (laughs) it's so freeing it's so freeing (laughs) it's wonderful i mean i totally fudge the numbers when i feel like it but it's Okay. Okay. I fudge so, the numbers so hard. I'm running a chocolate factory. I don't want to know how bad you fudge the numbers. So let me ask you. How much then, have you tried to kill us? So what? What is it now that you're you feel you need to fill in? I struggle with like the social interaction aspect with with NPCs. Okay. I have a really hard time figuring out because I I want to have memorable NPCs, but how do I like? You know how you do it. I don't. It, no, no. <laughs> this is my advice to you. How you, Laura, should do it. Because it's not how I should do it. Yeah. In the game you ran for us, mm-hmm. Dawn and I's character were so insufferable. <laughs> oh my we God, were, were awful. Insufferable. They were horrible. Okay. They would not <laughs> stop bickering. It was ridiculous. And we would go into shops and stuff, and Laura would have, to, you know, shopkeeper there. You know, mm-hmm. somebody to take the money, give you the thing, right? And then you leave and go to yeah. do the story. Oh. <laughs> Get emotional. Because you got pissed at Dawn and I, and specifically me, because I think I was kind of leading the charge yes, in the shop. And suddenly the shopkeeper, who was like, well, here's your item. I will take the ca- the currency <laughs> for that, turned into, this motherfucker's got to leave. <laughs> I will serve you. I will serve you. You can turn the f- around and get out. And suddenly I it's mean, a character. I didn't, I didn't swear at him, but it was. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I did. No, I think you didn't she, swear. I think, I think she did kick you out. She absolutely kicked me out. And, and my character, because I was this high elf and noble and all this. Sort yeah. of shit, but I was not having it. I was a total Karen elf. It was great. <laughs> so it was great. <laughs> and this. I'm so sorry. I pissed Laura off <laughs> so much. Oh, God. This character erupted oh. from the chest <laughs> like an alien. <laughs> devoured my character and it was wonderful it would have been better if they'd actually devoured your character but honestly oh okay so so you, you want to fill in more with your npcs right yes. okay so the, and there's obviously things you could try that the people mm-hmm. around you do i i have played under adam not enough and not recently enough that i could tell you what his technique is i know with chad it's about making them boisterous it's about giving them quirks with me, it's I take a social stereotype and I make it more complex than that. Mm-hmm. So it does. It's not like the stereotype is all there is, mm-hmm. but the stereotype is at least gives you something immediately recognizable to love or hate to latch mm-hmm. on to to you know make jokes about whatever. I, I think I'd have a little harder time quantifying Wayne's because I know Wayne's a big riffer. He, I don't know NPCs lie is all I remember you know from how, Wayne. So when Wayne makes 
a character. Oh, he actually borrows a lot from other media, too. Yeah, he does. Uh, when he makes a character where he's a player in a game, if he's into the character, he makes all of these NPCs that surround oh, the yes. all these connections, friends, family, rivals, it all that sort of stuff. It is a whole web. It's delightful. Well, nothing. And he does that for his games, too. Tons, and he loves That's why, characters. like, the Tons. food truck thing. Yeah, the food yeah. truck thing. There's, what, 15 NPCs, yeah. 90% of which we'll never interact with, and it's great. Uh, yeah, I feel like this should be some kind of a phone game. That will never, that will never be my style. But I can't, I cannot do that. But he likes. He's great at it. He is really good at making two to three sentence characters that these like character haikus that just give a lot of depth and interest in just a couple of lines, and he can just crank them out, crank them out, crank them out, and then suddenly they're all like interconnected. Wayne's a genius. It's mind boggling. Yeah, he is a gaming savant. He's like. My games are so bad. Nobody likes me. And I'm terrible. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, I would only ever play if, well, yeah, if Wayne just ran You know what makes great mountain climbers is realizing there's a mountain taller than this one. Right. I, I think that insecurity is kind of one of his greatest strengths. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of weird, but the people that don't self-critique and you could blast anything, yeah. Yeah. social dysfunction, anything. The people that can't look themselves in the mirror and admit what they're doing wrong, mm-hmm. even if they're wrong, I mean, even if they're being too harsh on themselves, which is an unfortunate trait, but those are the people that move forward in life. Those that are satisfied where they're at are morally stillborn. You know, they're the best they'll ever be Yeah, because they have no reason to strive to get higher. All right, cool. I, th- I think it's where to wrap this one up. I just, I was very fascinated to hear what this is like for you because you're growing up in such a different environment than we did yes chad and i are both gaming orphans and you grew up in such a (laughs) rich gaming family polyamorous gaming family. yes yes we had a lot of popcorn and soda now we have coffee bourbon and we've kept the popcorn yes we have our our rpacule right yes yes we do we have our so yeah anyway i was just interested to hear what you had to say on that and for those of you at home that our experienced GMs, this is your reminder to be kind to new GMs and to mentor them, but to also yes, let them <laughs> develop their own styles. Yours is not the right way of doing it. Share your good ideas, mm-hmm. but don't try to make them into you because they can't be. And if you are a new GM, then if you're a new GM, practice self-love. Yeah. And don't feel the need yeah. mm-hmm. to you're- steal from everyone, but imitate no one. Mm-hmm. Put things in your game that interest you. Yeah. You know, that is what okay. will, that is what will keep <laughs> you coming back and keep the energy going, which is what's going to get your players coming back. Yeah. That's a good point. So. I know, right? <laughs> check the show notes. I don't know if I have links or not, because it depends on if Chad can find that story, but. That is going to be a hard one. I'll, I'll try. But other than that, have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. Yeah. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2020. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor, so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.